Let's not be ashamed of that. Lord, as I open your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken my spirit. Lord, that I would speak nothing of myself, that you would bring back to, the, to remembrance the things that I've studied so that your people could be affected. Lord, work in us. Lord, move in us. Because if you do not move us, we will not be moved. So I ask you today that you would move in the hearts and the lives of your people. That we would be faithful. That we would stand firm. That we would seek truth. That, that we would seek Christ. That we would seek the lost. That we would prepare ourselves here. And that we would go out as workers into the harvest. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Alright. Um, the last time that I preached, we finished up in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We were looking at verse... Or we'd, we'd gotten through verse 15. Uh, I'm aware that some may have not have been to those um, those messages. There's been a couple of them. So I want to do a quick little overview. I want to get... Just bring us back so that we can understand as we dig into the new text this morning. Uh, bring us back into the context of what we've been looking at. In Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon here is writing a book... And I think that he does a very good job of dismantling all the things in this life, in this world, that if taken in and of themselves apart from God, will leave us with lives of vanity. That will leave us with lives like sand in our hands where it's just slipping through our fingers. And I think that this is important for us as believers to reflect back on this so that we can look to what Christ offers us as something greater. Unfortunately, so often in this life, we find ourselves placing great value in things that are of no value. We find ourselves placing value in things that in and of themselves are meaningless and void. And this is what he's addressing as he goes through Ecclesiastes he opens up in Ecclesiastes, the second, this is for context here, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he opens up with the phrase, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. And this statement is absolutely true in the context by which he's placing it. In verse 3, we see that context. What do people get for all their hard work? Where? Under the sun. So for those of you who may have missed the last couple of messages, or maybe need just a reminder what we're looking at here, what we're examining here, our lives lived solely under the sun. Solely with purpose driven by things under the sun. By things worldly. By things natural. What we're going to find, and what I think we have been seeing all along, is that 
If we negate the spiritual, if we negate the heavenly, if we negate God and set Him aside, then we will find everything to be lacking in the most important of ways. So let's keep that in mind as we dig through the Scripture. Last time, we left off in chapter 3. I want to point out one specific passage of text, verse 11, because I want to speak on this as we look at verse 16 on, where we're going to be today. Verse 11, the second sentence in verse 11, says that He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole, whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Today we're going to be talking about morality. We're going to be talking about justice. We're going to be looking in verse 16. And I want to tell you that the same thing that's true about eternity, that God has placed within us, as we saw last time, this yearning for something that's lasting, so that the thing that should be for us the most common thing, what is the most common thing? What's, what's going to happen to all of us? Guarantee. You're going to die. Death is the most certain of things. I've heard it said, death and taxes, you could avoid taxes. You cannot avoid death. It's coming. It's certain. Yet, for some reason, for some reason, the one thing that is the most common and the most certain seems the most out of place. Correct? Is this a true statement? Like every single one of us, when we think about death, we think of it as a perversion of what should be. We think we should live on. And this is what Scripture tells us. That God has placed within us this understanding. He's planted eternity in the heart. And just like that, I believe that He's done something else. I believe that He's planted within us a sense of morality. But, but... Just like a skewed view of eternity can make us feel like gods, a skewed view of morality could send us off living wicked, wicked lives. So I want us to explore now morality. And I'm going to be asking you questions along the way. Do y'all like to think? Is it still too early in the morning? Has everybody had their caffeine? I've I've had mine. My power went off this morning, so I didn't have coffee, but I had to make an emergency stop at the store to get me an energy drink. Have y'all had your caffeine this morning? Are you ready to think? Are y'all good with thinking, like thinking something that we can do in church? Right? So there's going to be some of these questions that I ask you that I know the easy answer, right? Like I'm, I'm the one preaching, so I know the easy answer. Like Bible, like Jesus, like, you know, we throw these things out there like it's like, y'all know it already. I don't even, I don't even have to ask you the question. You know the easy answer. But what I want us to do is I want us to do what he's done here. Is he's setting aside for the sake of argument those things beyond the sun. So that he can examine them for what they are. And see truly how lacking they are. And in that, we can gain perspective for just how valuable those heavenly things, those heavenly perspectives are. So, when I ask you these questions, 
there's going to be at least one of you that's going to be like, Jesus, like you won't be able to help but say Jesus. But I want you to think like this is going to start off. It says, I notice that under the sun, think. I want you to, because here's the truth. When we're in here, we can throw the Jesus thing out quick because we know we're around a bunch of other believers that are just as quick to throw out Jesus to every answer. Right? When you go out there, unfortunately, oftentimes we're not well grounded enough in here that we can go out there and say the same answer and feel comfortable in it. So what happens is we revert back to the under the sun answers. When we're out there, that's what happens. For fear of we're going to look foolish. Like, we're not smart enough. Like, like they're smart. Like, they've been educated. They've got school. And I'm like just some, you know, like backcountry preacher from, you know, wherever. Like, you know, like that's the way that we look at it. And I, what I want you to see is I want you to see that the truth and the power that is contained within the pages of these books makes the wisest of men look foolish. That's why I want you to use your mind today. That's why I want you to use your mind. That's why I want you to think. Because something that just, I mean, it bugs me. It bugs me when I see Christians who think that they... You know, that they go out here and automatically they've got to bow a knee to like scientific endeavors. Look, I'm an engineer. I've gone to school for seven years. I know what they're going to say. I've had biology, right? I've had microbiology. I know these things. When we examine the truth of God's Word, let us not be fearful that it will come up lacking. Because what I hope to show you today is that it will not. That it will not. So let's look at this. Verse 16. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do... There's, there's this passage of text, and I say interestingly enough. So interestingly enough, this passage of text, two major questions are going to come up. The first question is split in the middle by a passage of text that brings up another question. Alright? So I'm going to read through this, and then I'm going to point out to you the two questions that I have as I read this text. Alright? So let's look. We're going to be reading from uh, Ecclesiastes 3, looking at verse 16. We're going to be reading through the third verse of the next chapter. So let's just read through it, and then I'll point out a couple of things, and we'll kind of dig into it. I also noticed that under the sun there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition. How God proves to people that they are like animals. This is going to be interesting when we come back and look at this. God proves to us that we are like animals. Verse 19, For people and animals share the same fate, both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from the dust and they return to the dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is why they're here. No one will bring us back from the dead 
to, en- to enjoy life after we die. And these passages of text right here are exactly why we just flip on over the New Testament, right? Did y'all just hear what I read? Does it say the same thing? Okay, he's using... Does it say the same thing in y'all's? No one will bring us back from the dead to enjoy life after we die. Does that seem in any way contrary to what we would find in the New Testament? At all? Then, then have we come across a contradiction in God's Word? No one will bring us back from the dead to enjoy life after we die. Read it. Think about that. Verse 4. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. Oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. All right. My nose is running. I apologize if y'all hear me sniffing, sniffing, sniffing up here. So let's go back. I'm going to show you the two places here, the two questions that I have. So I've written in, in the side notes of my Bible, I'll just read you what I've written here. These are kind of my own thoughts as I, as I study through this. And we're going to explore it a little bit as we examine uh, what evil is and what justice is. So here's the question that I want to pose to you. And this, I want you to think. I want you to think about this. Because this question comes from, from a very strong and a very uh, predominant, especially in the West, view of the world. Okay, So everybody carries with them worldviews. Like we have these ideas and these understandings. Because we're limited, you don't know every true fact. You believe something. Right? And you hope that you believe, that you base your belief on something warranted. Like something that's worth believing in. Right? So what we would say is we come from a Christian worldview. And there's another worldview that is very predominant in our culture. It's a naturalistic worldview. This is a worldview that would say that all there is, is matter and energy. Right? Are you following me? Are you following me? So the question that I have as I read this, okay, as I read this and as I examine the culture around me, and I examine the lives of the people that I know, the question that comes up for me is this. How could mindless matter ever see moral truth? I want you to think about that. If all that we are is what is found under the sun, right? This is what he's addressing. Y'all think these kind of things were not addressed in the Bible? You think cultural viewpoints of today are somehow new and we need to come up with new ammunition of how to fight against these worldviews? Solomon. Old Testament is bringing up a good point here that causes me to think, how could we answer that question? If all that we are is under the sun, how could I call something evil? 
If, for example, you were driving down the road and you, you see a rock and another great big rock falls and crushes it, do you cry out for justice for the rock? As the river winds down and takes with it the soil and sediment on the side of the river, does anybody cry out for justice? That you stole some dirt. You're moving it to a place that it's not supposed to be. As meteors crash into planets, do we find injustice there? Do we say, man, that was evil? Do we? What do you call evil? Let's take it one step further. You're watching Discovery Channel. You see the lion pride. You see them chase down the gazelle. Would you call that evil? Would you? What would you call that? Life. That's nature. It's the way it's always happened. So why then, when it comes to us, if somebody comes and takes my stuff, what am I going to say about that? I'm going to say it was evil. It was unjust. If somebody comes and murders someone in my family, what am I going to say? It's evil and unjust. But the question that I have is that if all there is is what's found under the sun, and all that I am is matter and energy given enough time, biology comes into play, still matter and energy... How do I ever, how do we ever get to the point to where we can say that we're different than just the rock? Where does morality come into that? Where does it come into play? Ideas? There are ideas. Alright? There are ideas. And we're going to discuss some of those today. So as we look at this, there's two and it's disjointed because this is the way that we are, okay? I want to I show you, as I, as I read through this, kind of what I see is his train of thought. And I think it's a natural train of thought. So he says in verse 16, I notice that under the sun there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. What do you think about when the place where justice should be had is not found? Does that cause within you some stirring? If you go to a place, if it were you, and your son or your daughter were murdered, and you just go into a place, and the judge is like, man, I know him. Go on. You're free. What do you say? That's criminal. That's criminal. We should be locking the judge up. He's unjust. Yet as we say that, where do we find our basis? Where do we found our, find our grounding for calling anything unjust? Just like the rock. Just like the lion and the gazelle. What makes us different? What gives us any value? 
Under the sun. Under the sun. What? Nothing. So how would we answer this question? So we see this. We see him. And then what we see Solomon do in verse 17 is immediately. So what I want to do real quick, and this is kind of a side note to the sermon. What he does immediately upon reflecting on this, because here's what we know. Here's what we know, and here's what everyone else is going to agree with. Those things which I said, murder, rape, adultery, anything like that, we know and we call evil. Right? And we do it justly. And when we think about those who have been affected by that, it moves us. It moves us. And it's moved him here because he breaks up this idea of justice and injustice with the section in the middle of it. Immediately starting this section here in verse 17, he says, I said to myself, this is how we do it, I said to myself, so he's examining these things under the sun and still has a hard time reflecting on them without reflecting on the idea of God. He says, I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both the good and the bad, for their evil deeds. So the first thing that I want us to understand in this, quick side note, is that God is just. And the injustices that we see in this world that may have been perpetrated against you or your family or whoever, God is just. Those things will not go unpunished. Second side note of this, that person that I'm telling you about not going unpunished, if you don't know Christ, is you. You understand me? Because the second thing that I would say is hypocritical about us crying out against evil is that we ourselves are evil. Right? Where does the evil come from? Where does the murderer come from? Where does the rapist come from? We choose evil. God will judge evil. Understand this. Understand this. So now in verse 18 through 22 there, we're going to put that to the side. We're going to step down. We're going to come back to it. Don't worry about that. We're going to come back to it. We're going to look at the first couple of verses in chapter 4. These are the idea that he had to kind of take a step away from for a second as he was reflecting, and he comes back to it. Verse four or verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Again, I observe. So he's talking about two things. He's talking about in the early part there in verse 16, he's talking about the oppressor. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's talking about the oppressed. He says, Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The second thing that I want us to address here. One, we talked about how do we even ground what we could call evil if we're looking for something under the sun. We're going to look at that. The second thing here, how do you comfort someone with only the things found under the sun? Hmm? How do you find comfort under the sun? I want to tell you that you cannot. You tell the grieving mother or father who has lost a child. They're just matter in motion. 
just matter and energy given time, biological processes. It just came to an end. Where's the comfort in that? Where's the comfort in that? And even the hardest of hearts at some time feels the need to be comforted. Where do we find comfort under the sun? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. He thought about it long and hard and found nothing there. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. Oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless under the sun. Under the sun. Let's keep that in mind. So what's the conclusion then? If our reality really is that all that there is is what's found under the sun, we would all be fatalists. Right? This is what conclusion we would come to. So I concluded, based on this train of thought, so I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. That is what this worldview leads you to. If all there is, is what's found under the sun. There's no hope. There's no compassion. There's no recompense. There's no justice. I think you would find it hard even to cry out for justice. There's no hope. So you would come to the point that you would say this, verse 3, but most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born. For they've not seen all the evil done. Where? Under the sun. So what are the two options? Okay, there's three options. Right? I told you you couldn't just throw out the easy answer today. What are the other options? What would the world propose to you as a means of answering this question? How do you call something evil? I'll give you, there's two big ways. There's two big ways. Can anybody tell me that? What's one of them? Can you give me one of them? When I say them, you'll be like, oh, that was easy. I knew that. I'll give you a chance to get bonus points, right? What? Yeah, like where, where would you say you could get morality from? Yeah. I heard it. Society. So we've got one. This is it. Check. If I had a cookie, I'd throw cookies. But I don't. <laughs> Where's the second one? Society, what else? Ourselves. Double bonus points. I'm going to have to, Adrian, you're going to have to bake something. <laughs> Ourselves. The self. And society. The group of self. These are the two options that are generally given for where would morality just arise from. So let's explore it a little bit. What, what, would, it, what would morality look like if we were looking at it for the self? The general consensus for the self would be it would be good if it caused your personal flourishing. Right? It would be good if life was good because this happened to you. Right? That would be how you would justify goodness under the heading of self. 
But what I want I want us to explore is both self and society are subjective means at achieving morality, and that's dangerous. They're subjective. What does that mean? That means they're subjected to the thoughts of the individual or to the thoughts of the society as a whole. That means they're not objective. They're not grounded in anything. Right? So how would we look at this from an individual standpoint? I'm flourishing because of this event. But let's think about this kind of morality. A morality that could be founded on what makes life good for me. This is here. This is what we would call survival of the fittest. Right? So what this would mean is if I'm bigger and stronger than you, I can take from you whatever it takes for me to flourish. But what are you going to call that? What are you going to You could call that evil. If I come taking your stuff because I'm bigger than you, you're not just going to let it stand. You're going to call the police. You're going to get your gun out. You're going to protect your property because it's your right to have, right? But it would seem, if it's just what makes me feel good, what makes my life flourish, then for me, for something to be good, the greatest good would be me to gain the most power. To me to exert the greatest authority. For me to be king. Who was Solomon? Who? He was king. For me to have money and power. Right? Who was Solomon? What did he have? Do we find him, when he's reflecting on this, immediately saying, boy, I'm glad that I'm not the weakest among you. Is that what he reflects on? No. He immediately reflects on the fact that God will judge, and God will judge justly. Right? The man who could have said, let's let survival of the fittest reign among us. And I'll have what I'll have. So a morality that is a subjective morality based on the individual fails miserably. Because the individual's good may cause your evil. Right? So that won't work. So then what we'll say is, well, generally what will happen is me, me, me. And then, when, well, me, me, me doesn't work. Well, now it must be us. Right? Now it must be us. But I want to show you the weakness there. What if the... So, the greatest good would be my personal flourishing. Now, if we look at a subjective, community-based good, now what we have is good would seem to be the flourishing of the most people. Okay? So now let's say, for instance, that I'm big and I'm strong and I've got a large majority of the group that's big and strong. Do you see how it not fails in the same way? We come take your stuff. Because it's better for us to have it and let the weak die out. Again, survival of the fittest. Now the fittest just happens to roll in groups. Do you not see how you can't found morality there? And I want to tell you, these are the two... And from what I, from the research that I've done, and I've been doing this for years, the only two that even seem remotely reasonable. And you see in two seconds we can disarm both of them. They fail miserably. Why? Because they're subjective. 
Because as culture changes, and this is what we find, church, if you think that our culture chases after objective morality, you're wrong. Look at the things that are taking place today. Roll it back 50 years. Would not be taking place. Our culture is not founded in anything objectively morally right. Why? Because we, we don't know how to defend objective morality. We don't know how to defend the truth of this. Because here's what I'm telling you, if it can't be found under the sun, then it must be found beyond the sun. It must be found in someone. That someone is the Creator, the moral law giver, the one who decrees what is good from His very being. But if we're looking for it under the sun, it will not be found. So now this interesting side note that he spills into. Man, I think for our time, I think this is so telling. So what does he compare us to? Animals. And what would our culture compare us to? What would they say we come from? Animals. You thought it was the culture doing it, and what the Bible says <laughs> is that God proves to people that they are really like animals. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? That God would show us this truth in this way. So I wanna now I want to ask the question. Now I want to ask the question. So subjective morality is a morality that would be proposed. It would evolve, like people would evolve, and then morality would be part of that, and it would evolve up with the, with the people, and they would do it for, for fitness so that they could survive, and we see that that's subjective. And none of us would like to hold to a subjective morality, I can promise you that. You may as long as you're the fittest, but when you're not the fittest, you're going to want to reject that kind of morality quick. When you were the one born crippled or paralytic... You don't want it to be based on the fittest. You want there to be something that really is morally good and morally evil. But you cannot find that in a subjective morality, in a morality that is determined by people. Because people change. And I can promise you this, young people, young people, as you grow up, you're going to see culture change. You're going to see morality change as people change. Why? Because people are fallen, and though we'd like not to admit it, we are evil. And all of our ways and all of our desires and all of our thoughts tend toward evil. And I fear that God would let us go there as a culture because we're too weak and too passive to stand for something true so here we go verse 18 I also thought about the human condition how God proves to people 
that they are like animals. Here's what happens. Do you know what happens when we put God to the side? Do you know what happens when we start examining and we start living life like this under the sun? Is that we quickly, quickly realize how close we are to our animal brethren. Where do we find value and purpose? When we say under the sun, we can't find any. For people and animals share the same fate. We all die. It all ends up the same. Right? Every single one of us, every single one of them, at some point, the sun burns out and we all die. And it is as if nothing ever was. And that's a naturalistic worldview. And God shows us that without Him, this is exactly what we would have. He lets us explore this. How crazy is it that you can go and you can flip through the pages of this book and you can see exactly what's going to happen to every culture that's ever going to be based on the cultures that were. You can see what happens when a people turns from God. You can see what happens. Do you know what happens? We act like animals. It's the truth. God shows us. God shows us. For people and animals share the same fate. Ultimately, our ends are the same. Both must die... So people have no real advantage over animals. And his conclusion, how meaningless. And I think every one of us would agree that if that's what life had for us, meaningless. Meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from dust and they return to dust. And here's the question. Here's the question. This man, this is... This is deep. This is deep. Who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? This is the million dollar question. How do you know? Church, how do you know? How do you know? You say like near-death experience. Maybe. Near-death experiences. Right? Like, it would not surprise me if they don't at some point write that off to just chemical firings in the brain. That ain't enough evidence for you. Near death ain't going to cut it. Because at some point you can say, well, you wasn't completely dead yet. You weren't completely dead yet. So how would you prove it? Like, do I, am I going to go plug electrodes up to Dustin over here and then go bring in a dog off the street, plug electrodes to it? Let's run them in an MRI or something. Let's get super technical about it. You know what I'll find? Biological processes. Biological processes. How do you know that you're any different? How do you know? Faith? Are we supposed to believe blindly? And I'm not picking on you, but this is good. 
This is good. Because the Christian answer would be faith. But oftentimes we base faith blindly. And that's not what Christ said to do. He said, believe me for the works that I've done. And this is where it's going to get good. How would you know? What could prove it to you? What could prove it to you that we're made up of more than just flesh and bone? What could do it? Huh? Compassion. So, yeah, so if we, if we could somehow show or prove that we were different than animals, then maybe. But there, you, you can look, and there's animals that show what would appear to be compassion. Maybe not as highly evolved as us. Right? There would be, you know, it seems, it seems like, you know, there's elephants that, you know, like you go, most of y'all's had dogs that have died. And you may have had two dogs. And what happened to the second dog? Right? God shows us how much like animals we are without Him. But there, man, there is a way. There is a way. What if? Let's, let's continue on with this. I want, to, I want us to read this. Um, this is going to be good. Y'all didn't answer it, so maybe I don't know the church answer. It's going to be good. You're going to be like, I knew that church answer all along. Verse 21. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals go down into the earth? I'm just going to read this, finish this passage up, and we're going to come back. We're going to really going to focus on 21. I want to probe your minds. I want you to think about how you would know. What would be evidence that we were somehow different? That there was something more? Verse 22. So, I saw that there is nothing better to people than to be happy in their work, And that is why we are here. No one will bring us back from the dead to enjoy life after we die. But what if? Right? What would show you that you were something more than flesh and bone? If you could, but here he seems to preclude it. Right? If you could be brought back from the dead... You know what that would mean? That would mean that your body stopped functioning biologically. And that something remained that could be brought back. It would be what we call spirit soul. So if someone could be brought back from the dead. Now we would say, well man, there's people that die all the time. Well they almost die, right? Like if you were to look in their cells, like you would look, you would see they're still like going on like crazy and... People can be brought back now from what would appear to be what used to be termed as death for a significant amount of time later. I saw one where a little boy was seemed like he was frozen and 45 minutes or something later brought back from what we would call clinical death, right? So those are exceptions, right? But what if we had an example who was someone who was good and dead, right? What if we had an example of a man who was good and dead? Written off as dead. Buried as dead. His friends gave up on him. He was so dead. And he came back. What would that mean? Church, what would that mean? What would it mean? That we've been made in His image? That there's something more than flesh and blood? 
If a man could die, be good and dead, and come back, that'd be good proof. Now I wonder if that's happened. What would the church answer be? Has it? Has it? Who? Christ! He was good and dead. He was killed by people that know how to kill people. He was buried in a tomb. His friends went back to their day jobs. Right? And then something happened. Something happened. That these men who went back to their day jobs, sometime later, started claiming that this had happened. That a man had in fact come back from the dead. And interestingly enough, this was the same guy who had made claims to being God was murdered on a cross for those claims and now he's back. You don't explain that naturally, friends. You do not explain that naturally. There's not a naturalistic explanation for that. And I'm doubting seriously if he was making that stuff up about being God, that he would have gotten brought back. If he had blasphemed the name of God, if he was not exactly who he claimed to be, then he was killed and murdered because he was a blasphemer. But how would you come back naturally? Under the sun, what did it say? Nobody's bringing you back. Nobody's bringing you back. But the hope that we have is that there is something beyond the sun. It is where we fix our view of what is good and what is evil. And it is what has come for us. Those who are evil. To redeem us. Not just to prove Himself as who He is. But to bring us with Him as brothers and sisters. This is the Gospel. This is the truth. And and I'm going to tell you this as we continue through Ecclesiastes. You're going to see this again and again. That He is leading us to these questions that lead us ultimately to Christ. Stand if you would. I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, Cassie, if you want to come play. I'm going to read a little bit out of Luke. This is the story of the resurrection. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled from the entrance. So they went in, and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead 
for someone who is alive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, how holy you are. How amazing you are. How worthy of our praise. How worthy of glory and honor. Lord, you do those things that cannot be done. You do those things for which there is no other explanation. I thank you that you did not leave him in the grave. And that you will not leave us in the grave if we call on you. If we trust in these men's reports, we should not be looking among the dead for the living. Let us look to Christ. Let us have faith in Him. He's made Himself known to us. His name has been preached to all ends of the earth. Call your people to yourself, Lord. Move us or we will not be moved. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the cross. 